Well, oh, <clears throat> hello to you, my audience. Thank you for listening to episode three of the Holistic Christianity Podcast. My name is Michael Rett, and I'm coming at you after an unfortunate, I had recorded this um, the other week, and the battery died, and none of it got recorded, so I am re-recording. I am thinking uh, I may have lost some, hopefully, juicy tidbits, but... Hopefully, um, there'll be even different ones right here. And I'm actually going to be adding to this. I will not just be discussing our passions and whether God cares about our passions or not and what that means, but I will also be doing a review of the film Unplanned, which I saw earlier today. I saw this morning. Um, That will be probably the second half of however long this podcast uh, lasts. So I ask that you stick with me. I thank you for joining me. Again, my name is Michael Rett, and this is Holistic Christianity. Well, here we are. So what the heck does a surfing Jesus have to do with anything? This is what I need you to do. I need each of you... If you're on your phones, don't do this if you're in your car, obviously. If you're on your computer, whenever you get a chance, Google surfing Jesus. And Jesus in a robe will come up and he's catching a wave. You know, big smile on his face, hanging 10, whatever. So the impetus for this particular episode, many, many years ago, my wife and I were first married. We've been married 13 and a half years now. And it's been wonderful, ups and downs overall. Absolutely love it. I encourage it highly. And I don't know how surfing came up. I don't. But we were talking about, I made the the point that I think God cares about anything we care about. And, you know, she was like, really? You think? I mean, God doesn't need us, which is true. God doesn't need us. But I was like, well, yeah, if you, of course, if you love surfing, then God loves surfing. He loves that you love surfing. And she was like, I don't think God cares about surfing. So we went back and forth. And um, I don't remember where we left it. You know, hopefully it didn't get too, too heated as some of our discussions tend to. If you're married, you know, or, or even dating, you know what I mean, unfortunately. Hopefully, if, great thing about, um, one of the great things about my marriage is my wife and I always work through, we work through everything. Um, even when things seem so, so bad and you were like, how the heck are we, you know, there's times early on in our marriage, like, are we really going to do this? How are we going to do this? How are we going to last? But we made a choice to stick together. Love is a, a choice. It's a feeling too. It's also a choice. We work through everything. Um, so yeah, that's, how I was like, God cares if you surf. So Jesus is out there surfing. And it's funny cause the, um, the uh, the little toy or figure of surfing Jesus. It is a little reminiscent of the Jesus, the thumbs up Jesus from the film Dogma. If any of you have seen that, hopefully, um, if any of you hear me referencing that, you don't turn it off and call me some kind of heretic because I happen to have seen that movie. Um, yes, you can watch movies that don't necessarily, on the surface, appear Christian, whatever that means. And um, art, art, and all art. By all, by art, I mean film, music, dance, photography. Um, that's what I mean when I. And of course, the fine art. Um, 
That's what I mean when I say art. And this is going to get into, um, lead, this is the lead into um, our discussion today, to the first part of the discussion today. And you're invited in on this. You can always feel free to hit me up. Instagram, Michael Rett. Twitter, at Michael Rett1. Facebook, Michael Rett. So you can feel free to respond in, in, in any way. And you think you can leave you can leave messages on Anchor as well. So when you talk about art, when you talk about the arts, when you talk about passion, you know, things that we're passionate about and the things that God is passionate about. So first of all, the first thing we know, if you read the book of Genesis, the first thing we know God did is he created. The beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, the word was with God. He created the heavens and the earth, separated the earth. And if you go through everything, it's pretty amazing. If you really think about, you know, if you look at like a canyon or like, or like mountains rather, and how, how you could see how the icebergs, you know, the glaciers rather like sluiced through them and, and created, it's, it's beautiful. Um, you know, that's a work of art. The earth is a work of art as we are, as each of us is. So as we art being creative is, is quite arguably God's truest self. And he obviously, he, he, he created through Jesus and, um, and the spirits inside of us guiding, you know, um, guiding that creation. And you see it in the world. Um, you look in the world, evidence of this in the natural world is seen through the golden ratio, which I don't recall the dimensions right now. I'm not that scientifically minded, but in nature, if you look at certain shells, like seashells, you look at certain flowers or plants, there is a ratio um, that you can draw. And it's like, a, they call it a golden ratio. It's, it's almost, it's like a spiral. And it's seen throughout nature. I think it's even seen in certain animals. That's just evidence of God's creation right there. There's so much evidence that this world was created. And even science is revealing much, much more of that right now. Even if you don't believe in the Judeo-Christian God, um, or any of the other specific gods and you hold an agnostic point of view, um, there's still so much evidence that everything, all this is cre- was created. And if each of us is created, that we're created by God, that says something about who we are, that God took the time to create each one of us and knew each one of us. So when you look at specific forms of art, whatever form of art you might be in, um, each of us is creative. Some of us are drawn specifically towards certain art forms. For myself, it's theater. My wife, it's photography and fine art. Um, I have friends in all the arts, friends who are painters, sculptors, potters, um, dancers, writers. I write as well. Um, That could be creative writing or academic writing. Incidentally, I received the copy of my book. I wrote a book chapter um, in a larger book and it was published and I just got the copy yesterday and it was so cool seeing my name in print chapter 12 by Michael Rett and Joshua Weiss shout out Joshua Weiss for being my co-author of that chapter and a shout out to Dr. Stephen Perry my professor at Regent University for putting it all together so passion I love the theater and I enjoy writing. I, I love the theater more. Actually, I love directing. 
more. And I'm actually really enjoying this podcast as well and doing it. It's just getting down. And if you listen to my first podcast, I'm intimidated by what I don't know. Just sitting down and getting started because I'm like, what if I do it wrong? That prevents me. And I think that prevents a lot of people, artists or not, perhaps artists more from getting started um, is the fear of getting started. So whatever um, art, and I do believe we're all creative too. We all have that within us. People say, I'm not an artist. I'm not creative. You have something in you because people can be creative with money, how you spend money. Um, You know, if you run a business, obviously that you're starting a business and all those practices, you know, gardening, uh, teaching, you have to be creative in how you teach. Um, So if you have a passion for play production, you want to want to perform, you want to move to New York, those, those are difficult decisions because artists don't necessarily make a lot of money, um, at least to start. And the people who truly, quote, make it are few and far between. It's much, much easier to get a corporate job, and which, you know, hey, that's for some people. Sitting in office all day, not for me. You know, bored out of my mind, just sitting. I did it for a very short time. I also worked at a Starbucks for a while, and I was bored doing that. Um, I didn't mind the interaction with people, but I was bored because I wasn't doing something creative. So if you have a passion on your heart, if there's something you love, and if you could aren't sure what that might be, here's a question you can ask yourself. If money or talent were not obstacles, what would you do? And you can even put talent out like it'd be like, oh, I would be like this this dancer and I would tap dance. Well, I don't have the ability to tap dance. I never put the time in it into it. So let's just you can even put that aside. Like, if money was not an option, what would you do? And that will tell you in many respects where your passion lies. I spent all my time volunteering at um, an animal shelter. You know, I would write and produce plays. I would paint. I would draw. I would, I don't know figured out i would garden grow plants and flip pancakes somewhere whatever it might be that that in many ways is the truest of who you are you can also figure some of this out if you think back to when you were a kid children young children i forget the exact ages have high creativity julia cameron writes about this um, in her amazing book called The Artist's Way. It's easily on my top 10 of books. I've taught from it. I've read it. I've implemented some of the tools in my own life. And it's, my gosh, it's unreal. Um, children have high... You don't have to tell, tell children. You'd be like, pretend this. And they're like, oh, I'm there. And then as you get older, that starts to wane. It starts to wane for several reasons. We think... Um, without being psychological, because I can't be, we we think we can't be as creative. No, we have to think rationally and responsibly. Think inside the box. And there are times when, of course, that is appropriate. Did I say appropriate? That sounds ridiculous. I was trying to sound too smart. There's times when that, that is appropriate. But there's also times when we need to think outside the box. And that's actually a huge field right now in the business world, in the corporate world, is they need people who will think outside the box. Um, 
people aren't satisfied and they have not been satisfied staying at the same job, sitting in the same cubicle their entire lives, waiting for a watch when they retire. That was the silent generation, people born in the 20s, the, the Willie Lomans of the world. So kind of, um, we don't want that. Gener generation X, which is me, Generation Y, Millennials, they don't want that. They want to make an impact. They want to do something meaningful. And I think a lot of it has to do with Maslow. Maslow's hierarchy needs, so I'm not going to get into that right now. So the things that you want to do, you can still do them. You can do them in some degree. So the things you maybe love, think back to when you were a child, the things you love to do, the things of like who you are, like if you could dress a certain way, you could think a certain way. And we're told, you can't do that. No, 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 no. You can't do that. You have to fit in. And as I said, there is an element of fitting in. And fitting in doesn't mean like selling out who you are at your core. There's things I have to do to fit in. Yes, would I rather not always have to wear like a tie to work? No, I don't. Actually, I usually don't. But Or even dress business casual. I'd rather wear jeans today, um, which I would even still sometimes do. That's like, oh, you're just a corporate whatever. No. That's an element of fitting in. I could still, doesn't mean I have to look like every other, you know, Tom, Dick, and Harry in some kind of really ugly suit. I could still be my unique self. You know, I could still be really goofy and silly as a dad because I have to be. When where I was younger, I would laugh at dads who did that. But, you know, I really don't care because if I make my son laugh, <laughs> it's one of the best things in the world. My son's 19 months, by the way, and I highly recommend children also so when you figure out what it is you might not be able to do that specific thing but you might be able to find a type of job or even a hobby or something that allows you to live that out so that you're not like dying inside and that's on you because god has put it on you because that's who God is. God's a, God's a creative God. God has placed that desire in your hearts. And it might just be for to, to live out. Because if you're living out creativity, you're living out a part of God's heart. That's pretty amazing. You know, God just isn't some ethereal, you know, some being in the sky that isn't involved, who doesn't care about us. No, he's, he's active. We have um, what many people call a vertical relationship with God. Meaning, you know, I, I speak up to him and he comes down to me and, you know, God just make everything happen and fix everything. Well, yeah, he could just do that snap of his fingers a la Thanos style in the Avengers. But no, we have a part to play as well. God, I want, you know, I would like to see X, Y, Z happen. And God's like, well, I'm providing opportunities for you. I've given you an intellect. I have given you motivation. Now go and do it. And I will, you know, so Julia Cameron has a phrase she's very common she says um writes about uh, i show up at the page each day she's talking about writing god i will take care of the quantity meaning i'm here you take care of the quality now when she refers to god she kind of keeps it she does mention god and she talks about kind of not being like pluralistic but like the higher power kind of um, that you might find in like um, like an AA meeting someone talks about. Um, and she also talks about synchronicity. Where if you're in line with this um, kind of greater being, the great creator, I think she does use that term. She uses multiple terms. You, things, things will come up. 
you'll meet people. Um, you might come across maybe an ad, a Facebook ad, or or um, you hear about a job somewhere, or an opportunity, something like that. And you know, don't don't quench that. Go after that because that's she does say this. That's the universe kind of coming together to help you out. Um, I wouldn't subscribe. That's not the language I would personally use, but that's the language she used. And I think she does have, she does have a point though. Another thing she mentions, um, that is vitally important that concerns our passions is anger. She says, and she's right that anger is a map. So what is the purpose of a map? A map tells you where you need to go, right? Um, if you're lost, it could help you find out how to get, you know, off the, the abandoned road back to the main highway. If you just, you kind of have a sense of where you kind of need to go in this direction, it might help fine tune you. And of course, now we have maps, you know, so much easier than, um, you know, we just plug it into our phone, but that's still telling you where to go. Same idea. So anger is a map because it tells us something is amiss, meaning it's something is, is misplaced in the wrong place maybe lost, and we need to correct that. We might not know what it is right away. So you hear about an injustice, you know, some woman was mugged for something like that. That makes you angry. Why? Because it wasn't right. You hear about um, some politicians stole money. You, well, I don't like that. You hear um, just someone just called, you know, you're out on the street walking and you hear some guy yell something to some girl, something derogatory that makes you angry, you know, and, and because you don't think that's right because you think people should be treated with respect with all those things. Um, anger of course can be misplaced. They do have anger management, which I think is, is obviously a helpful tool. We shouldn't just let our emotions control us though. Our emotions are important. I think our emotions, um, do guide us into like the rational part of our brain at times today we live I think too much in our emotions and we just like well I feel this so and you throw it all up it's like okay you feel it what does it mean think about it critically think about it rationally and let's figure it out instead of just I'm angry I'm frustrated I'm going to tweet out something awful and horrible about someone I don't know because they're dehumanized because I don't know them. What's interesting. So, um, a friend of mine, I haven't seen this person in, in quite a while. We, we did go to college together. I, I did know her before that though, in high school, um, we have different views on, on some subjects, but if she were to post something or if I were to post something, we wouldn't attack each other. We do have one thing very much in common. We do both care for animal welfare, um, especially cats. Um, she volunteers much more than, than I do. She's fostered some cats. Um, we, we've, um, we've taken a couple strays, my wife and I. We have one right now, Raleigh. He's awesome. Um, if she were to post something on social media, something I disagree with, I'm, I'm not going to attack her. You know, I'm much less likely to attack her because I know her. I have a relationship with this person, uh, you know, as a friend, as someone I respect. And the same from, as is true from her side, I don't think that's changed. If it's someone I don't know, it's very easy. I just, I don't know this person. I can just write whatever I want. You're a stupid 
blank, the worst words in the world, and you're dehumanized. That stuff makes me angry because we shouldn't dehumanize people, and I have been guilty of it. You know, um, social media gives us, it, it fools us into thinking we've actually done something. I'm going to post that on social media, and you feel like you've contributed to the conversation, but you probably haven't. You may have. I've, I've participated in some honest discussions and disagreements. Um, and it's because I know the people doing it, um, as opposed to just trolling somebody. So, um, back to what I was talking about, I was mentioning social media and just putting something on, oh, just being angry and I'm just going to put something on social media. So I was going to mention something that makes me really angry. And this will lead into the next part of the discussion when I review unplanned so one thing that makes me really angry is so-called Christian art. I don't understand the label Christian art, and I haven't for 20 years. Um, art, and perhaps we should, I should mostly say music, should be defined by its genre and by its sound, not by its content. Because that's just how it's done. Now, there, gospel music is both. There's a sound to gospel music, and there is a content about gospel music. You know, it'll be about gospel, God, Jesus, all that. But you know that there's country, there's punk, hard rock, soft rock, jazz, um, bluegrass, rap, hip-hop, whatever it might be. But then you have Christian rock. Christian rap and it's like uh? do they have like hardcore drug use rap I've not heard it I've heard of death metal so I don't understand why I, put, I, I do actually do understand because it's it's part of its demographics it's a way to make money but what's bad and you're like if you like you uh, is a bad example if you like I don't know who's popular today. I don't know. I don't know. She's not popular. Hanson just crossed the, came across my uh, Roku screen. If you like Hanson, you'll like this band. They're the Christian Hanson. They're the Christian Pearl Jam. They're the Christian um, Florence and the Machine. Uh, okay. They they probably suck. I'm sorry. I'm going to be honest and call a spade a spade, man. That label is such a turnoff. It's such a turnoff. It doesn't make sense. Do what you do. Let the music speak for itself. Here's what happened. First or second year of my marriage, we were going to a church in Scotch Plains, New Jersey, when we lived in Summit. And it, it was a re- actually a really great church, really great preacher. He's the guy that married us, Kevin Brennan. Shout out. Love him to death. What a man of God. What just amazing man. Humble. Could talk to you. Could talk to anybody. Could give a message that would could pertain to to a child to like to you know a phd level um person so they invited a a group um to perform from i think the lancaster area so here's what i'm thinking remember i have a background in theater and acting your group you were invited in to perform a play that you wrote there has to be some level of professionalism if we are going to give you a donation towards you and if the church is going to pay you. Okay? 
Now, you don't do it just for the money. There's something larger at stake, too. But you're also getting paid, which, you know, it should be. That should be. Um, Church shouldn't take advantage of people that way. Now, if this was an in-house production, I wouldn't have, I would have different expectations because I don't know the talent you have. But if you're going forth and propagate and saying, oh, we have something we want to perform, you better be doing this fairly well. So it was a three-person play. It was about the book of Philemon. It's a short book of the New Testament about this slave named Onesimus who runs away, um, gets, gets put in jail with Paul and... Okay, and then they added another character as like a female slave in the house. Okay, so um, before the play starts, the director um, comes out, starts telling us, "You're gonna. This is what you're gonna see. You're gonna meet this person and that person and this person." I'm like, all right, can we just watch it? Um, so the play starts. One of the worst, horrible, horribly acted. Um, there's something called levels in acting. Like if you ever watch a public speaker who speaks in a monotone, you're like, yeah, that's not good. It was sort of like that. So the play ends, and then she comes out, and she starts talking to us again. Like, just let it be what it is. Stop preaching at us. That is not what art is meant for. You can discuss it, invite us into the conversation. That's different, okay? This is why lecturing in colleges doesn't work or in high schools. I don't lecture when I teach. I teach at the college level. I teach at the high school level. I, I so rarely lecture. I will teach and explain what things are, but I'm always inviting the students to in. I am doing critical thinking. We're, we're reading the text, doing like a deep reading of the text because people only retain 10% of what they hear. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way, especially in today's technology and what it is. We're visual people. We learn through experience. Okay, so I saw that and it was awful. And, and that's what kind of a lot of... Um, so-called Christian art, music, films are today. So that makes me angry. I was so angry because one, okay, Madeline Langle, author. She wrote the book, A Wrinkle in Time, which many of you may have heard of. They recently made it into a film with Oprah and um, Josh Hutcherson and some, some other people. And she, she has beautiful, and Flannery O'Connor, the novelist, the Southern novelist uh, thought this as well. But here's what Madeline Lengel said. If it's bad art, it's bad religion, no matter how pious the subject. Let me say that again. If it's bad art, it's bad religion, no matter how pious the subject. So if you are somewhat of a professional performer going out, not a student who's learning. I don't mean that because you're learning and you see the growth. But if you're going out and you do a poor job, and that could be somewhat subjective in terms of what's quote unquote good. It's, it's, it's a bad representation of God then. If you're singing a song and the, the tones aren't good, the melody's not good, the lyrics are surfacey, like a Hallmark card, it's not good. So I do think, unfortunately, there is this expectation. Okay, 
there's a Christian radio station near me, Star 99.1. Um, when they would advertise for new DJs, it would be looking for a soccer mom type. Okay, that's fine. That's your demographic. That's who you want to reach out to. That's fine. That's one thing. All right, you know your audience. Okay. It's when that comes into the church. Now the church is playing all the music the same. Who's that music that's for that's in the church now? The soccer moms in the church. What about the men in the church? What about the kids in the church? What about the older people in the church? What about the football moms who are maybe a little tougher than the soccer moms? I don't know. That's a little tongue in cheek, but you get what I'm trying to say. Or the hockey moms. Oof. Um, or the dance moms. Those, those ladies are nuts. I hope you see what I'm getting at. You can't put God in a box. Chris Ward, my boy, whose podcast I was on a few weeks ago, it just came out, Ward on the Go podcast. Shout out, check it out. We were, having, we were talking last week. We are talking about if Christian films, excuse me, if films with Christian themes, whatever, whatever you want to call it, were real, they would be the rawest, most visceral films. They would be, and he's basically, they would have drug use, they involve sex. Now, they wouldn't be explicit. They're not going to show nudity, obviously. There's not going to like be necessarily profanity. And I think, I think, I haven't seen, um, Tyler Perry did a film, I think it was kind of like this, but I haven't seen it. But these films would be raw. These films would be someone who got taken to the edge of brokenness and would find redemption. So what I see in a lot of these films is that redemption comes easy. And this may just be Hollywood in general. You know, there's always redemption in, in, in Hollywood films. Because, you know, that's kind of like our country is founded on the Judeo-Christian kind of mythos, um, which obviously in Christianity there's redemption. So we do see that, but it's so easy. It's like, oh, you just kind of come back and all is forgiven, you know? Um, and they don't get to like root of it issues. So I actually give the film Fireproof some credit. So Fireproof, which is, um, I forget the, the one guy, if it's Sherwood, um, Kirk Cameron stars in it. Not bad. Good message. Um, not bad. Family. Um, I forget if there's kids, but it's husband and wife. You know, they're, they're, they're not getting along. Husband has a pornography addiction. And there's one scene where he's, he's on this computer. He's looking at a boat that he wants to buy. And um, a screen pops up with a girl's face as want to see. But they don't show anything to show her face. And I was actually, when I was watching this, I was actually kind of surprised but gladdened that they actually went there. So I do give them credit. Um, a lot of the actors in the film were awful, awful. Um, but there were some good moments. Um, film like Facing the Giants wasn't bad. Some, some films, what film was awful? So the people that made the film unplanned, we're going to get to that next. You've been listening to the Holistic Christianity Podcast with me, Michael Rett. Thank you so much for your time, and I hope to see you again soon.